0: How are you going, Brendan? I'm doing excellent. How are you, Henry? I'm very well. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Gardening Show on Radio Caram. I'm Henry. I'm Brendan. And we are the hosts of The Gardening Show on Radio Caram. We're excited to be joining you to talk about all things gardening and local food production. We are two local dads who share a passion for the garden, sustainability, growing food, and just giving it a go. We also help to run Downs Community Farm, which is a budding non-for-profit just adjacent to the Seaford wetlands. And our mission here is to promote and share the benefits of home gardening in our local community. We'll be talking about gardening in general, playing a few tunes and uh, yeah, engaging with our listeners via uh, text in gardening questions. Excellent. And just before we get started, I'd
1: like to do a quick acknowledgement of country. And just want to acknowledge the Bunurong and the traditional owners of the land, the Bunurong and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, uh, and
0: recognise that the land is never ceded. Thank you so much, Brennan. So, yeah, what did we discuss last week? Yeah, so last week was great. It was great. Right, I had was, time. I Last had week, a, last
1: time. Last time, last <laughs> episode, two weeks ago. Um, last Episode We talked about soils a lot. We talked about a lot of um, types of soils, contamination. We talked about pH, potential of hydrogen. We looked at permaculture principles of producing no waste and how we like to each incorporate that into our gardens mm-hmm. and garden designs. We also did a spotlight on beets and radishes, uh, which is very cool. Yep. Uh, I really enjoyed that and inspired me to go out and get some of those watermelon radishes as oh, well. Yeah? Digging did through you? the seeds, I did, yeah. Wonderful. Yep. And garden myth busting. We spoke a lot about garden myth busting. So, folklore, things that might be, we, we think might be true, but uh,
0: may yeah. not always hold water per se. I'm sorry for anyone I... Offended (laughs) Uh, In that section But I think you need good information To do good gardening That's right And Mm -hmm. I I, I really
1: take the opportunity to If there's going to be other people Who want to join in and and participate And get some healthy conversation going I think that's all the better And uh, we're going to learn And and keep on learning from that as
0: well I would love to have someone come into the studio And Mm. argue with us about a gardening topic I think that would make great listening uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, what about this, this week? Yeah, this week. So we're going to do a few sort of Q and As, FAQs, you know, from online posts. Some of those common questions mm. that seem to pop up a lot. Um, we're going to do a spotlight on edible weeds, something I'm uh, a big fan of, and a great way to garden very lazily, mm-hmm. let's <laughs> yep. put it. Uh, we'll talk about the seventh permaculture principle. Uh, designing from patterns to details. So this is where, as I said last show, it starts to get a little bit more not obvious, Mm. maybe. This might still be obvious to some people, but, uh, yeah, starting to get a little bit deep there. And finally, uh, it's spring. Spring. Spring Mm. has sprung. So getting into the spring of things. uh, I love that you've got multiple puns in that one sentence. (laughs) Uh, And, yeah, what, what can we do in the garden? What are you and I up to mm. um, in preparation for summer crops? Uh, and yeah, what you could get started on this weekend. Excellent. And don't forget to send us through any gardening questions. Mm. So we
1: absolutely encourage it. Please add in your name if you want to be uh, shouted out on radio as well. Uh, you, can, you can send your gardening questions through to 0493 Or you can email us through the new email address, which is thegardeningshowradio at gmail.com. So one more time on that number for texting 0493 213
0: 831. We'd love to hear from you. Definitely. But as always, we'll kick off with a song. And uh, what a great, great choice, Brendan, on this one. Classic Aussie hit, River Runs Red by Midnight Oil. If you're you're the caramely just call Mitchell Tall. Or,
1: or in Patterson Lakes, just call Mitchell Tall. Anywhere Bayside, just call Mitchell Tall. Buy a cellar house, just call Mitchell Tall. Mitchell Tall. Tall. tall, tall, tall. Real estate? Oh, yeah,
0: little real, real, estate. real estate. we want more. We <laughs>
1: <laughs> did we done it! One take!
0: <laughs> that's awesome, Mitchell Tour <laughs> <laughs> Always gets me The bit at the end, we got it, one take yeah, That's brilliant, <laughs> yeah, well done gents <laughs> Friday night frothies uh, Have a listen if you haven't yet
1: Yeah, for sure um, And if you, never need a, uh, if you ever need To listen to a band that's going to Kick in some environmental thought and action mm. Midnight Oil um, That mm. was the oils with River Runs Red And does give me the chills fact. Most definitely Absolute facts,
0: yeah Awesome, let's continue on. Yes, yeah, so uh, first section, Q and A 's from online posts. yeah, common questions that always seem to pop up.
1: So I was thinking about this a couple a little while ago when we were uh, as I, I scroll through and have a look at all of these gardening um, channels. We mentioned Reddit a little while ago, and yep. there's, this is basically where I'm having a look for some of this stuff, and mm. i'll I'll refresh just the gardening stuff over and over again, see what, <laughs> yep. what sort of questions are coming through. Um, now, one that I've seen come up uh, again and again and again is Blossom rot. Mm. So, I thought if we can harvest some of these questions, harvest the questions hey. think, and um, <laughs> see if we can address some of them and hopefully they're going to be, or well, they might be something that you can take some learning from as well. Yeah. So, blossom end rot is if nobody's ever seen blossom end rot, uh, it's often with tomatoes, but it can actually affect other fruit like capsicums, peppers, chilies, um, squash, eggplant, cucumbers, uh, fruiting plants. But at the end of the the watery end of the spectrum of the fruiting pr- plants, mm. so you're like your
0: solanaceous crops. Mm. So tomatoes, chilies, eggplants, yeah, and then correct. Curbits as well. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: As the name suggests, blossom end rot, uh, it starts as this little soft yellowish spot on the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it starts to grow, it turns into this like a brown rot covering the bottom part of the fruit. Mm. Uh, and it's it's something I've dealt with in the past or right. I have experienced in the past. Um, and it's, it's a bit discerning because essentially half of your fruit just rots. Or it might be a third of it um, if you imagine a small... Maybe this, a small uh, cherry tomato, probably a good half of that was blossom end rot. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so one good thing about blossom end rot is that um, it can be di- cut and discarded into the compost. So it's not an infection, it's not a fungus or a pest, and it won't spread in- around your garden and affect the other plants, okay. which is quite good. Um, fundamentally, what it's talking about here is a lack of calcium uh, oh. or something that affects the plant's ability to take in calcium. Mm. So we were talking about soils the other week. We yeah. were talking about what happens if it's too acidic and why um, some of those nutrients won't absorb into the plants if yeah. it's, if it's not, not the right type of, um, uh, of soil there. Um, so overwatering or heavy rain can sometimes dilute the available calcium and then the plant fails to absorb it quickly enough to meet its needs. Or underwatering, inconsistent watering can be um, can put a plant under stress, and that mm. disrupts the nutrient take up across the board. Um, and then blossom end rot tends to be a quick and obvious result, so it's something that right. comes up very um, visually. It's quite obvious. Uh, so we also mentioned just a moment ago the high acid or alkaline levels in the soil will lock up nutrients, calcium included, making them unavailable to the plant's roots.
0: Mm. I'll jump in and I'll just say because I've not experienced blossom end rot, mm. I, feel, I feel very fortunate because I know most people have experienced it at least once. Yeah, um, with these sorts of crops, and I think for me the reason why is, you know, I love growing peppers, I love growing tomatoes, and I have certainly been the person that overwaters them, mm. especially at the fruiting stage, and then they burst on me. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I've put a lot of energy and effort into scheduling the watering for those plants very specifically Mm. and carefully. And I think maybe that's why I've not had it, but yeah, a a big rain could throw it out or as you said, the soil pH being off.
1: Mm. Yeah. So it's it's not, uh, be-all and end-all for mm-hmm. the plant and, and also for the fruit. So with blossom end rot, you can actually slice off that section of the yep. fruit and eat the remainder of the fruit. It's only that one part that's rotted. Um, <clears throat> and also you can amend to help the fruit. Yep. So often it's not a, a – as I said, it's not a be-all and end-all for the plant. Generally speaking, you just pick off those those fruits that are not doing too well, throw so them yep. in the compost, and keep on going um, and hopefully – the the next fruits or trying to amend the soil in the meantime. Um, So, looking at nitrogen. So, high levels of nitrogen in the soil can cause calcium deficiencies and that is in two ways. Uh, One is excess nitrogen causes fast and abundant leaf growth, which diverts nutrients away from the fruit, causing Mm. abnormal development. And then the second part is too much nitrogen uh, locks the soil's calcium into a salt form, which the plant's roots are then unable to readily absorb even if they, uh, even if they are chemically
0: high levels present. So Yeah, okay. That's really interesting. Um, I think that's we'll definitely talk about this in another show is fertilizing mm. because I think that's, that's one where a lot of, there's a lot of information out there there are just some really simple rules to follow Mm, mm. and all purpose big inverted commas i'm doing in the air here and all purpose fertilizer is rarely all purpose (laughs) particularly when it comes to fruiting plants Mm, so that's right yeah i can totally see how that you know too high nitrogen massive leafy growth where's the potassium yep you know where's the phosphorus yeah
1: um, so, an emergency measure, if we are experiencing blossom end rot, um, is to dab or spray diluted calcium feed directly onto the plant's leaves mm. um, in a process known as foliar feeding. It uh, won't do anything to the already affected fruits, but can reduce the risks that any further develop later on down the track. Um In case you do spot the, as we mentioned, in case you do spot the problem, pick off the rotting fruit so that the plant can concentrate its energies onto the unblemished ones. Mm. Um, As we mentioned before, the affected fruits are harmless. They can be cleaned up, eaten, and generally speaking, most people just pop them into the compost. Could you throw them in the chicken coop? I think so. Hey, awesome. Um, most of the plants affected by blossom end rot have a, do have a long potential fruiting season. Mm. So, as I was mentioning, all's not lost. Um, try to in in what is important is to try and under to solve the underlying conditions yeah. that have caused the blossom end rot, um, so that the later fruits are unspoiled. So, you, there's probably a couple of things. You're looking at soil deficiency, and yep. I won't go into too much detail about these ones, but we're looking at soil deficiencies. Um, we're looking at careful fertilizer use. Yep. Um, we're looking at improving the soil quality and extra watering care. Um, so, that's something, a little bit of a little bit of a spotlight on Blossom
0: End Rot. Mm. Hopefully, you're not experiencing, but a few strategies if you are. That's so good. Uh, good to know. And uh, I love that there's a bit of science in there as well. That's pretty cool. I love um, yeah, that you, you, you alluded to cherry tomatoes. I think this is why cherry tomatoes, for me, are maybe a better starter crop if mm-hmm. you're a new gardener than you know, your full size or your sourcing tomatoes or your slices just because, yeah, they crop so prolifically mm. and usually, especially in Melbourne, quite a long season if you have them in the right spot. Um, you can fix things relatively quickly with liquid feeds. Yep. And then still have plenty of tomatoes, not worry about it. Uh, but yeah, keep an eye out for that in the garden. Excellent. So here's one that I found. I I didn't go to Reddit. I went well, I went to Chat GPT. Hey, and I said it's quite funny. I asked it like politely, like trying to you know stack my cards for when AI takes over the planet. <laughs> so it's like, uh, hi Chat GPT, Uh could you give me a list of twenty common gardening questions uh, that appear frequently on the internet Mm. or something to that effect. And I picked a couple. So I'll go into the first one here, uh, which is how often should I water my garden? Brilliant question. Yeah, one of those first ones, right? The other one being, what's wrong with my lemon tree? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it depends really. Uh, It depends on the plant. It depends on um, many factors in your garden. The soil type that you have, and we mentioned that. Last episode, clay versus sand. Uh, Weather conditions, which as we know where we live can be a little bit four seasons in one day. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, important to consider. And the specific plant species as well. In particular, um, looking at the root structure of plants, shallow rooted versus deep rooted being a really simple way to sort of break it down. So generally speaking, uh, deep and infrequent but regular I will add infrequent but regular watering uh, works well for most gardens. Mm. Uh, you know, it helps to encourage roots to you know seek water further down. Um, I'll say this with a caveat, of course, because there are shallow-rooted plants, uh, annuals like lettuce, for example, that have uh, even things like corn. You know, have really shallow root systems, so they are certainly more suited to very consistent watering. Uh, and less water, of course, so that it has time to to drain. Um, but, you know, things like tomatoes, yeah, you want to give them deep. And when I say infrequent but regular, you know, if it's, if it's sunny and warm out, you know, every two days, you know. Pretty, two to three days. Two yep. to three days, pretty yep. deep. If you know there's going to be a rain coming, take your foot off the pedal, mm. don't water. Uh, and they will really benefit from that. So, yeah, uh, another great little tip, and I think I've alluded to it many episodes ago, um, was uh, for indoor plants, and the same applies for outdoor plants, is to just use the knuckle trick, Mm. you know, go a few knuckles deep into the soil with a finger, and if your finger comes out dry, probably needs a drink. Yep. If your finger comes out with soil, moist soil stuck to it, it's fine. Let it go. As
1: soon as you mentioned that, how often should I water the garden? I was Mm. just thinking about that same strategy all the time. just popping the finger in, see if it's going to be moist at all or Mm. or if it's all dry
0: Um, and that should tell you if it's needing a drink or not. Yeah, I mean, it's important to do, I think, regardless of, you know, let's say you have two garden beds that are next to each other. You've, You've filled them with the same type of soil at the same time from the same place but it's been a couple of years and you've grown different plants in each and they might have different soil structure. They will have different soil structures. So some will retain moisture better than others. So it's good to really check in a few spots. Uh, and you know, you don't always have to go out and water everything. You know, mm. you can have a bit of a schedule. You use a garden diary <laughs> and yeah, just have a bit of a, a calendar going of when and where. Just make your life easier. So uh, another important thing is when in when. the day, yes. right? what time in the day? So early morning is, I think, in most cases, the best time to water because it's still cool. So it's not all just going to immediately evaporate off and the soil will be moist, particularly on a warm day. We'll have um, a bit of a bank of water to draw from.
1: Mm.
0: On really, really hot days, there's nothing wrong with coming in the middle of the day and just giving a quick, a cool down water, I call it. Mm particularly if your plant is really drooping. But some plants are going to do that naturally. You know, pumpkins, tomatoes, they're going to wilt a little bit in the heat. Yep. Doesn't mean they're dead. No, no. Mm. And just a a tip on that watering is
1: um, especially for those high – uh, foliage, sort of plants. Yeah. Um, and the ones that are susceptible a little bit more to when they're drenched to wilt yes. um, is to water at the ground level. At the ground. Right? Yeah. If you can, I think that's always the best way to do it. As opposed
0: to just spraying and covering everything yeah. with water from the top. <laughs> they've got, I mean, if you've ever gone out and bought a brand new, like a hose gun type thing, they've got every setting under the sun on them. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can find something that lets you get in and amongst, you know. Um, yeah, so generally on the other side of that coin of wa- uh, morning watering is you do want to avoid, um, if possible, of course, evening watering. Um, the main reason for this is, and again, if you're if you're watering the soil, it's not so much of an issue. Mm-hmm. But if you are watering the leaves, um, that drop in temperature keeps the leaves wet sometimes the whole night mm. and that can lead to problems, especially later in the season as plants get a bit older. I'm sure many of our listeners have experienced, and you probably have and I have, uh, powdery mildew. Yep, certainly have. It's uh, almost guaranteed to happen. Uh, and it's fine. It's just part of, of um, the life cycle of plants, to be fair. But that's a good way to avoid it kind of taking over too quickly at the end of your season. Yeah, so that's it pretty much. Um, Brilliant. What's what? something – what's another – Fun factoid you're going to give us. All right.
1: So we're going to jump into this next one, a All- miser leaf miner. Uh, this one has been something that has, uh, has uh, popped up again and again also and often left people stumped uh, with different questions that didn't mm. know how to approach it or what to do here. And if you see silver squiggles on your foliage, you might know that it's time to take action. Yeah. Um, Agriculture Victoria recognises that in, that since 2015, three of five serious pest exotic leaf miners have made their way into Australia, wow. uh, with one now present in Victoria. And this is a small, night-flying moth. And the female will lay her eggs on the new growth of citrus leaves. Citrus. citrus. When they hatch, <laughs> they, the larva will burrow underneath the leaf and uh, leaf, essentially, and cause stunted growth. So leaving the miner unchecked reduces the tree's ability to photosynthesize and it doesn't necessarily tree uh, kill the tree but it's going to stunt the growth <coughs> Excuse me, and potentially uh, reduce the yield as yeah. well. So it's not the best one to to find. Now with the leaf miners as opposed to the uh, blossom end rot, when we remove any damaged foliage, you want to bag them and bin them and not put them into the compost. Yeah. And this is the idea to prevent... Um, pupae or the hatching and reinfesting of, yep. of your compost, essentially. Um, spray the remaining foliage with a, hot, a pest oil, a horticultural oil, mm. and deter the adults from laying more eggs. And the oil doesn't necessarily kill the larvae. Um, you might have to then physically go and remove the larvae. So underneath the, the plant leaf and then
0: trying to rub them out, essentially. That, that's how I, I, I find when you buy like new citrus from the nursery, and it's obviously citrus can be a bit finicky and mm. maybe there's a bit of plant shock when you sort of move it into the garden. Uh, that's when I've seen it pop up. Yep. And I'm thinking, yeah, I saw it on my lime. I caught it very early. There was only a little tiny squiggle Yep. and I could see the actual grub inside. So I just gave it a, gave it a squish with yep. my fingers, made like really hard, made sure I got it. And then I just left it and it was fine. But mm. if it had gotten any worse... I certainly would have just cut off that whole that whole section.
1: Mm-mm. Mm. And likewise when you get the parasitic uh, citrus wasps as well, yeah. generally speaking, you're going to cut off that you whole section. Cut, yeah, those galls, you just got to cut them. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen one I've actually seen one method where um, they sliced the side of the galls to expose those egg, oh, yeah. the egg holes underneath and they dry out and oxidize and essentially kill the pupae and larvae underneath, but I'm not too sure how how fully
0: that method is going to take care of the the parasitic wasps. I I feel like that that branch would forever be compromised Mm. in some way from having that that surgery (laughs) done to (laughs) it. (laughs) That's right. Um, So uh,
1: that's what we're talking about when it comes to the leaf miners. And a tip... Was this your tip or my tip? Maybe it's my one. It's spray yours. the first thing in the morning to avoid avoid spraying beneficial insects. So if you're going to be treating with a neem oil or a soapy a soapy water mm. spray, um, potentially getting that nice and early in the morning again to if if your nocturnal ones are the one uh, pests that have been giving you troubles, um, trying to protect it and not not yeah. mess it up for the day um, when you're good when your good insects are coming around. Mm. All right, another one. We'll move through quickly on these last two, but aphids. Aphids, uh, everybody's experienced aphids or will know what they look like and uh, especially, as you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, roses. Yes. Aphids love roses. Um, the cabbage a- aphid and cotton aphid are two widespread species in Australia. Aphids feed on vegetables, fruits, ornamentals, essentially by sucking the fluid of phloem vessels. Mm. They can easily and rapidly reproduce and to get rid of them, we want to use a diluted spo- soap or garlic spray um, and again, physically go in there and remove them yep. with, your, with your hand. They're, have... very,
0: they're very easy to squish.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's satisfying. It's very satisfying. A bit gross, but a bit quite satisfying. And the last one that we wanted to jump onto was uh, slugs and snails. So the, these pests can absolutely put a huge threat to your garden. They can damage leaves, underground tubers, fruits, plant seeds, and this can lead to major production losses. Mm. And snails thrive in almost any cool, moist environment. Yeah. So to control snails, there are a lot of different techniques you can implement. First, you can do the physical bar- um, barriers um, you, to try and keep them out. You can try your DIY snail beer trap, yep. which is also the good one for earwigs. Um, <clears throat> secondly, you can go out at nighttime with a torch and some gum boots and just pick them off, throw them into a bucket of soapy water. Uh, I remember, I think I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that that was my job um, growing up as ah, a, as a right. little boy and it was, <laughs> that was my pocket money was going around and picking up snails and slugs yeah. and I'd walk back with just a big plastic bag and they're trying to cl- cl- no <laughs> slowly, slowly crawl out of the bag <clears throat> Um, so slugs and snails. We've got the beer trap. We've got the gum boots. We've got taking them off and dropping them into a bucket of soapy water. And the last, last one is looking at um, spraying with a, a copy, copper oxychloride, um, which is essentially a fungicide. Right. Um, but but as a big caveat is, mm. can we deal things with things without using
0: chemicals? Yes, we can. And that leads into the next question. I, I see what you did there. <laughs> so I, I guess one of the the biggest questions. Uh, this is the last one of this section, but I think one of the, one of the most commonly asked questions: How do I prevent weeds in my garden without using chemicals? So I think you and I we've both been to Bunnings before. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't want to <clears throat> name drop companies ever on this show. The big, uh, the, the, big, green, the big green, the green one, the big green warehouse. Um, and, you know, you go into the fertilizer aisle maybe to, you know, I don't know, buy, buy an all-purpose organic fertilizer or, mm-hmm. or a bag of worm castings or what have you. And you just look at how many weed killers are on the shelf. And it, it always makes me sad because I'm like, oh. there's, there's much easier ways to mm. get rid of weeds. And, you know, there's obviously different kinds of, um, you know, safer and less safe chemicals. But I think when you're dealing especially with a food garden or a garden that is frequented by children and animals who are going to be low down to the ground, you should always avoid any chemical use if you can. Mm. So few methods that we can use. So number one, mulching, which we should be doing anyway, particularly in the warmer months. Uh, Things like straw uh, or lucerne or something like that for your annuals. Uh, or wood chips for your perennials and your fruit trees can really help to just smother weed growth. And when I say mulch, I don't mean a little sprinkle (laughs) here and there. Uh, You need to be mulching at the right depth. So typically, depending on the the plants and um, the time of year, somewhere between 5 and 10 centimetres. A good layer of mulch. Make the weeds work for it. Uh, The added advantage is those that do pop through are very easy to pull because most of their root mass is in the mulch and not in the soil. So you can just lift them out. Mm. And they're very obvious to see as well. So that's one. Of course, other benefits to mulching like retaining soil moisture and things, but weeds is actually a good one. Another one is just being regular with your weeding. So it's a lot easier to pull out weeds when they are small. Compared to when they are large, uh, a good time to pull weeds is when the cordylines, i think it's called—the baby leaves have popped out, and none of the others. So, mm. quick lesson on how plants grow: <laughs> uh, when a plant grows out of its seed or its you know seed bursts open, a root comes out one end, a stalk or whatever comes out the other. There will be two initial leaves that pop out to just give it that first photosynthesizing push to grow up. They usually look nothing like the true leaves are going to look. So if you've ever grown seedlings or plants from seed, you will know this. Um, That's the time when the root is nowhere near established. So you can just usually pull them out very easily or even just brush your hand along the soil Mm. and they'll just pop right out. That's a good time to do it. So frequently means less work instead of as I'm sure you've done before, you're down on your knees and you've got a dandelion the size of a dinner plate mm-hmm. and this massive taproot coming down and you're trying to pull that up. You and, know. <laughs> and you just get the leaves and then and the, the taproots the left leaves. in there. That's happened many times. Everyone, everyone goes through <laughs> that, right? So that's that's really important. Um, there's all manner of tools you can you can buy. Stirrup hoe is a really good one mm-hmm. um, that could just gently sort of rake the soil and get rid of those weeds for you. Another one, of course, planting densely. So shade out the weeds as well. Uh, As I've alluded to in previous episodes, the spacing guidelines they give you for plants are often on the more generous side Mm. to account for the fact that not everyone has nice soil, you know. So you can typically plant things closer um, than, than, than you're told or you can interplant with flowers and you know all types of things. Using plants that are well suited to your soil and climate so that they will be vigorous, they will grow quickly and they will outcompete the weeds is another big one as well uh, because weeds are really good at growing wherever they want. That's why they're weeds. And finally, practicing good garden hygiene. So if a few weeds have gotten a bit big, you see that big dandelion, it's got a big flower on it, Cut that flower off Mm. because the second you get one of those puff balls, you're going to have a ton of dandelions down the line, right? I know blowing them is fun. We all did that as kids. But, um, you know, making sure you, you get those weed seeds before they're developed and save yourself for that next cycle a little bit. It's it's
1: a <clears throat> excuse me. It is a hard one because of course seeds are going to travel naturally on the yes. wind and they're going to come into the garden mm. as much as we want to try and keep out those little weeds from from entering into our garden beds and we think that we're doing a brilliant job at, at keeping them all out, inevitably there's going to be some coming through. Always. Um, I like I like what you were saying. In frequently just visiting it and trying to hand pick when they're
0: young. I think that's a really great strategy. That's it. And look, again, sometimes weeds pop up in places where they're not affecting your crops. Mm-hmm. So maybe you have that path down the side of your house with bricks and you've got a few random weeds popping out. Is, is it really, is it really that so bad? Is it so bad? As long as you cut the flowers off, is, yep. it, is it so bad? You know, maybe spend your time weeding somewhere else. Make it easy for yourself. So, yeah, that's, um, that's a few techniques for weeding. But as we will discuss after this song um, – Potentially, you can just eat them. All that. <laughs> I like it. It's probably the easiest way to deal with weeds is to use them as food. Uh, so, yeah, let's go to the next song. Another great choice, Brendan. I love these choices you've got today. Uh, Marvin Gaye, the one and only with I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Love it.
1: Hi, I'm Freddie from Freddie's Kitchen. Let's get behind Radio Karam. Go Karam.
0: Back. Welcome back. I, I sounded a weird, but it's because I only had
1: one headphone on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the smell, of, or the t- the smell of coffee. I
0: just I heard the coffee brewing, mm. and I could almost smell coffee. I'm one of those lucky people. Maybe it's the European heritage where I could drink coffee at any hour of the day, and I could still sleep. Mm. So I uh, I might have one tonight, <laughs> maybe. Uh,
1: I think I'd have to go into the decaf. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that
0: was. Marvin Gaye, heard it through the grapevine. Awesome song. Um, so now, doing another spotlight, and this one is as we very, <laughs> very amazingly um, talked about in the last section: edible weeds. Mm. So um, a quick disclaimer is, of course, um, like with any foraging activity, whether it's you know, weeds or mushrooms or, or you know fruit out in the in the forest, make sure you know what you're actually eating, you know, and if you don't, don't eat it. Um, There are many poisonous plants that can be found in suburbia. Some can just give you an upset stomach. Some can be much worse. So thankfully, though, many of these edible weeds are very easy to identify. Um, So don't be scared, but just go in with some knowledge ahead of time. Um, Of course, we can't show you any pictures on radio, but um, we'll have a book recommendation at the end, which I certainly... Would encourage anyone to pick up even if you're not that interested it's just nice to learn about these plants that are very often in your garden already mm. Mm. you've
1: got stuff food growing in your
0: garden and we don't realize yeah exactly even if you don't have a food garden mm-hmm. trust me <laughs> you got food in there it's it's an interesting one because we talk about weeds and
1: Often we t- say, well, what's a weed? What different- differentiates a weed mm. from any other plant? And a textbook usually defines uh, a weed as a plant which is growing where it's not wanted. Yep. One culture, uh, one culture's weed can actually be a valued crop or a sacred medicinal, medicinal plant for mm. another. And you have a, a couple of choices when we're kind of interpreting and assessing weeds. You could... You could you could think I need to spray it and get rid of it or maybe I could just reclassify it. Yeah. A little bit of mental reclassification.
0: Good way to look at
1: it. Um, and I, I had written this down here before, but it's, it's absolutely that disclaimer. As with wild mushrooms, mm-hmm. it's important to know what you're picking. Um, do your research. Edible
0: weeds can make an, uh, a delicious addition to your diet. That's it. It's worth stressing that. They're not just good for you, and you'll talk a bit about this, of course, but Mm. a lot of them are actually very delicious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's not just, you know, different kinds of lettuce. They have very interesting flavours too. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Uh, So most edible
1: weeds are high in phytonutrients and phytochemicals, such as beta-carotenes that help protect the body against disease, as well as vitamin A, vitamin C, and minerals such as potassium. And I was reading something uh, as I was doing a little bit of research, an idea that was explaining that because the weeds haven't been bred, or because weeds haven't been bred the way the commercial crops have been bred, usually they can um, have higher concentrations of natural vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients. Yeah. Which is, it was an interesting insight to think about it like that. Yeah. Uh, really quickly, what's a phytonutrient? Uh, Phyto is a a short word for plant and then nutrients straight onto it, Mm. often referred to as phytochemicals, and they are responsible for vibrant colors found in garden vegetables and fruits. Um, So there's a couple of ones that I've listed in here, and lycopene helps give tomatoes and watermelon their red color. Um, They also have antioxidant properties, which help to uh, to prevent damage to cells throughout the body. They can reduce the risk of cancer, heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's, and of course that they they promote healthy aging. There you go. So stop buying face creams. Nutrients, phytonutrients. <laughs> Start eating dandelions. <laughs> That's the first one, isn't it? We go. That's the hit off the list. We've been flowing quite well today. I like mm. it. Um, dandelions now. We're going to start into a little bit of uh, botanical names as well. Yes, so please. I, I, I learned a little bit about some botanical names last week, and I also realized that I was totally pronouncing some of them incorrectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was really good because I, 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 I love it when I can learn something new. Yeah, of course. It's always about constantly learning. Mm. And if it means that I've uh, proven myself wrong and, and have adjusted as a result, then, then that's what I'm that's out a about. Win. Mm. Um, so dandelion, uh, <coughs> Taraxic and if we, if we completely butcher these apologies, if a you're bit, a botanist, let us know. Yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, Taraxicum officinale. Um, so dandelions, super nutritious, mm. very high in minerals, uh, vitamins and antioxidants. All parts are edible, from the yellow petals to the root. And I'm sure many of us will have heard of dandelion tea. Um, the root can actually be slow roasted and used as a coffee substitute as well. Um, and then lastly, you can use young leaves, dandelion leaves just in salads.
0: Yeah, there you go. And I mean, at least me, if I go into the front yard at any one time, there's probably 50 dandelions. (laughs) Imagine having 50 lettuces in your backyard, you know, it's that sort of level. Uh, Next one is nettle. Nettles, yes. Urtica Urtica? urines. Urtica urines, I think, yeah. Urtica urines. Uh, So I'm sure we've all had a bit of a sting by a nettle in the past, if we're keen gardeners, Um, but they are absolutely edible, very high in calcium. They wilt in water, so it's worth noting. Uh, You can strip the young leaves from the stems and use them as a spinach substitute. All you have to do is just blanch them, and that gets rid of the sting. Um, the dried leaves as well can be used for tea, and uh, I've had little tea. It's quite nice, mm, very herbaceous and vegetal as you'd expect, but mm. quite nice.
1: Cool. Next one is purslane, uh, and we've got a name here: Portulaca olecara. Uh Sorry, olerace. So this is this is actually the one that I was learning: Oloraceae. Yes. Yeah, Do so- I get it? <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, we're going to have to – I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board yeah. on this one as well. <laughs> when, uh, what, are, what I was listening to uh, was Olerachia. Al- oh, okay. Olerachia. There you go. Uh, so Portulaca Olerachia, a semi-succulent a Middle Eastern and Mexican cuisine. Mm. It is a crisp tart flavor. It has a crisp tart flavor with lots of omega-3 fatty acids and they can be cooked in tomato dishes, raw in salads or yogurt dip uh, drips. Uh, No, it's not
0: drips. It is a dip. Yogurt dip and that neutralizes the plant's oxalic acid. Mm. It's worth mentioning a few of these plants do have high concentrations of oxalic acid which can upset your stomach and be bad for your kidneys, I believe. So it's worth noting that, yeah, you can obviously cook that out. Mm -hmm. Um, Or simply if you're eating them raw, uh, just use them sparingly. Um, Certainly don't consume a a huge amount. And I just wanted to add on purslane because it's very common. And if you're a gardener that has some experience, you definitely know what it looks like. But it's not as obvious as dandelion and nettle to some Mm. people. But I'm sure you have seen it because it does really stand out. It's got, what would you say, burgundy-coloured stems um, and the little round semi-succulent leaves. And it kind of grows out in a sort of web shape, very flat to the ground, Yes, usually out of cracks in the brick, as I find. So just worth noting, you might already have some of that around. Mm. What's the next one? Yes, chickweed. That's a personal favourite of mine. Uh, and I say that because it's my garden's favorite weed to grow. Mm. <laughs> uh, Stellaria media. Uh, so chickweed um, looks like a lot of things, but once you kind of know what it looks like and how quickly it can grow, um, you'll 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 definitely be able to tell. Uh, it has a very mild taste. It's highly nutritious, high in iron, uh, vitamins A and C and antioxidants. The young tops are good in salads, sandwiches and pestos. And I recently got chickens, so I, of course, Googled, is chickweed good for chickens? Uh, yes, turns out it's a very apt name, nice. chickens. I love it. It's like catnip for cats, Yep, chickweed for chickens. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Now, one of the next ones, wild brassica. Uh, <clears throat> wild brassicas, various wild brassicas like wild mustard, uh, brassica nigra and wild radish, uh, raffanus uh, have edible leaves and flowers that can be used in salads or as cooked greens.
0: Have you seen these around? Wild brassicas. Well, I've noticed so I, I many of them so. now in, in the, uh, there must've been something cause I, I've never noticed them in previous years that much. Okay. Yep. And at least down... Down where I live in in Frankston, uh, the side of the road is just bushes and bushes and bushes of them. Mm. You, just, you now you can tell, especially because it's flowering. Yeah, you know. Yep. Yeah, and it's got the yellow flowers. Yes, the and yellow flowers. Yeah,
1: I think I was walking through the Pines uh, Flora and Fauna Reserve yep. uh, with the family just the other day, uh, on Father's Day actually, and just enjoying the sunshine. And I noticed a number of them, and I thought, oh gosh, that does look like a brassica plant. And it, it's quite
0: possibly a wild brassica. It, it is, yeah. It's it, it just like a really leggy. <laughs> Small leafed broccoli without the head. <laughs> That's how I would describe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost, yeah. Like, almost like rocket. Um, another one, which I'm sure everyone has uh, chewed on when they were young, is wood sorrel or uh, oxalis stricta, also known as oxalis or uh, sourgrass. Uh-huh. Um, so it has a, you know, it's the kind of looks like clover, but is a bit bushier and has those uh, long stems with the little yellow flower on top. Um, So yeah, sour lemony leaves. The sourness is the oxalic acid. So these ones you do want to have sparingly. Mm -hmm. Um, You can add those to salads, use them as a garnish. Um, Yeah, just a refreshing pop of lemony flavor in your dishes.
1: That one, I, I noticed that you had, you're kind of munching on one as you walked around I, the garden a couple of weeks ago. Yeah,
0: I, I can't help myself <laughs> if I see one, it goes in. And you know, like with all of these, you know, have a think about where you're pulling them out from. So I know if they grow up at Downs Community Farm, they've not had dogs peeing on them yeah. yep. or they've not been sprayed by the council. So it's pretty safe, you know, but maybe don't. Grab them out of the gutter <laughs> on the side of a busy road. Yeah, because you yeah. don't know what's going to be in them.
1: That's right. Mm. That's right. In fact, when we were down at the farm uh, over the weekend, we did a quick walk around, and I had the kids there, and, yeah. and we picked some off, and I gave it to them to try, and um, and they were they were surprised. Yeah. So we're absolutely. talking four and two year, two and a half years old, and um, the four year old was like, "Oh, what is this? What is this?" <laughs> and I said, "Do you like it?" And she went, "Yeah." Um, Yes, and and wood sorrel, that's super common. I think everybody as a kid has picked up that at some Mm. stage and and given it a chew. Um, Onion weed. Well, my personal favourite on this list. Yes, Mm. onion weeds. They produce an edible green shoot and a small white bulb with a mild onion flavour, and they can also be used in salads, soups,
0: or simply as a garnish. Mm. So Allium triquetum is the name, triquetrum? try three because they are three lobed. Um, so that's the easy way to tell them apart. Uh, how would you just, have you had them before? Yeah. You would have. Well, how do you would describe the flavor? I'd say maybe somewhere between like a garlic chive and, uh, spring onion I would maybe? say yeah, a light a light
1: onion. Mm. definitely not that really super heavy yeah. overly onion taste, but it was still still very much there yeah um, And I think it were, we had it in a garnish on a salad a little while ago and it just little pops
0: of that onion flavor. yeah it was really lovely. It's actually interesting. I <laughs> I've harvested some from the wild and from Ceres Community Park mm-hmm. and just put it in my garden. Yeah. I want to cultivate this weed yeah. on a mass scale. I want to just let it go to seed, spread around, and then anytime I need, you know, spring onion, I'll just go grab some. You've you've actually you've done the full
1: 180 on yeah. the mental reclassification because it's totally not a weed. <laughs> if you're wanting to cultivate it. I'm just it.
0: growing it. <laughs> That's brilliant. <Yeah. laughs> um, another one, a little bit less common, but I have seen it pop up in my garden, is sheep's sorrel. Um, So not to be confused with wood sorrel. It's a completely different family of plants. Um, Sheep sorrel, Rumex acetosella. Acetosella has sort of a tangy, lemony sort of leaf. Uh, Can be used sparingly, again, oxalic acid in salads or as a garnish. Um, Do look this one up. It has a pretty unique leaf shape, um, about the size of a medium-sized dandelion leaf, I would say, in most cases. Um, But you will occasionally see it around. I had it pop up randomly in an old unused corner of the garden. I was like, oh, that looks like it might be edible. Turns out it is. (laughs) And finally, um, one of the most common.
1: Clover. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Trifolium and clover leaves, especially particularly those of red and white clover are
0: edible and can be added into salads or cooked as greens. It's interesting because I didn't actually know that before preparing for this thing. I thought, would it be great if clover was edible? Turns out it is. Really? <laughs> there you go.
1: Uh, and we actually went through uh, a few. I was thinking about some different ones that are often considered weeds. Mm. We did a spotlight on amaranth a little while ago and that in some instances can be. And we've mentioned uh, sorrel already. Uh, some other ones that do do are, are often considered as weeds is watercress blackberries of course yep. uh, fennel yes uh, wild fennel can often be considered a weed and it can be very very aggressive yep. um daisies and hibiscus honeysuckles nasturtiums pansies violets and mallows yes there so you go a couple of other ones that are often thought of as uh, thought of as weeds but Essentially, yeah, if we think about it and stretch our
0: brains, maybe we don't necessarily see them as weeds anymore. That's it. Or if you just start cultivating them like me. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, here's my book recommendation for this. So, there's lots of great weed foraging books. So, I'm just calling out one that I own, Mm -hmm. that I really like. (coughs) Sorry. And um, having had one of the writers of this book as a teacher, um, it's just – I just want to support him and his work. Um, so it's written by Adam Grubb and uh, his wife, Annie, or his wife or partner, I should say, um, Annie Razor Rowland. I believe it's his partner. Don't quote me on that, though, but someone told me that. It's called The Weed Forager's Handbook and a guide to edible and medicinal weeds in Australia. And I think it highlights about 20, including cool. obviously many of the ones that we've um, that we've discussed. And the great news is they have also written another weed foraging handbook specifically for children. Ah, cool. Yes. So I don't can't exactly remember the name of that one, but Adam Grubb, Grub with two Bs, um, weed foragers handbook. Look it up and you'll find the children's version as well. Mm. Get your kids out there. Yep. Doing the weeding for you. I like it. Let's, <laughs> let's get the, recruit them to, to come in and do some labour.
1: Uh, now, just before we jump into a song, we did get a special, um, we did get a message that came through and it says, oh. are there special considerations about harvesting or preparing foraged weeds? For example, if they have been potentially sprayed, have animal droppings or urine on them um, that we might not know about? Like in the recent news about uh, news story about Warrigal greens. Thanks. Mm. Great question.
0: So, You kind
1: of st- touched on it before, but yeah,
0: go yeah, and take it away. Yeah, if I can start with the with the, uh, the brainworm story, <laughs> the, uh, the really weird brain worm story. I'm glad that woman is okay. Um, to do with eating warrigal greens, um, it is worth noting, I believe those warrigal greens were eaten raw. And a good note uh, for all of our listeners is you should never eat warrigal greens raw. Um they have, again, a very high level of oxalic acid, I believe, as well. Um, but because of the nature of how we typically eat them, which is as a spinach substitute, you're going to be eating quite a volume of them. So it's important that you blanch them first. Mm. And that would have killed the parasite. So that's how that would have been avoided. It's also a bit of a freak accident kind of thing, mm. you know, one in a million. Um, but yes, a great, a great question, you know, and as I, as I alluded to, you need to have a think about that, um, you know, on the side of a road, you know, you have to, you have to make a judgment call if it's the side of the road and it's people's houses, right? So it's just on the verge strip, you're most likely going to be safe from anything to do with spraying. Um, so that's fine. Yes, a dog might've weed on it at some point, um, you know, give it a good wash, of course. You know, um, I, I yeah, this is to, for each person to decide on themselves. Mm. Um, but I find typically think about where you are and think about, you know, where would a dog urinate? Yep, you know, where would the council be spraying? You know, mm. if you see a place, public land, and you see a lot of blackberries, yeah, there's a good chance they may have been sprayed. And you can look for telltale signs of that, you know, plant death and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, do you have anything to add to that? I'd probably say you, you, you hit on the main three
1: points. Mm. Um, and one is consider. Consider where you are, where it is, where the plant is. The second one would be boil and the third one would be wash. Yeah. So prepare or have a think about washing them thoroughly, inspecting them, all of those sorts of things. We don't want to rule it out. And this is the whole point of talking about edible weeds, but it is just a little caveat and something you
0: should consider. That's it. You know, um, great question. Thank you. listener. do we have a name for that one? Um, no, no. No. A non. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go to a song before we talk a bit about permaculture. Oh, did it. Well, there you go. Um, What song is this? Leon Bridges with a song, Details, because we're going to be talking about designing from patterns to details. Hey, I'm Jane Oakley, a Matilda alumni footballer, number 36, and you're listening to Radio Karen. Stay tuned. We are back. And that, again, was Leon Bridges' Details. Uh, sorry for the little pause before that started. I started the song three times and then realized the volume was off. I was like, what's going on here? Um, but yeah. Permi principles. Permi principles. We're up to number seven now. That's it. We're getting we're getting through them. We are getting through them. We're on the back, we're on the back six. Um, this is design from patterns to details. So, Brendan. What does this name or what does this concept mean to you without going into any of the content? Mm. Maybe you've read through it already, but what sort of came into your mind when when you read patterns to details?
1: Yeah, yeah. So kind of when I think patterns and details, I think uh, a little bit micro, a little bit macro. Yeah, okay. So I'm thinking kind of taking a bit of a step back and looking at the greater picture and also probably looking down at to a micro level of details uh, around particular plants or what sort of environment they might be in um, so I, we, we spoke about I, I was thinking climate patterns potentially uh, maybe stuff around rain uh, but I don't have a huge amount of knowledge so I definitely want to be I
0: want to <laughs> I want to be overloaded with knowledge around this. You've come so far my young, my young Padawan <laughs> uh, that's that's a really I think you've already kind of got oh, it. Uh, sorry, I'm just yeah. looking down at yeah, it. You're just, like, <laughs> hey, I got it. <laughs> so, absolutely. So, uh, designing from patterns to details is emphasising the importance of understanding the larger natural patterns, and you certainly touched on that, climate, things like that, and systems before, and that's the key word, before delving into the specific design elements in a garden. So, this is to promote things like efficiency, sustainability, and harmony in the home garden. Um, so, I'll quick. I'll start with a quick question to you. Mm. When you moved into your current place, um, and you were sort of thinking about setting up your patch, what was the first thing you thought of? Where's the sun? And, and be honest. <laughs> Where's the sun? Where's the sun. Okay, yep. that's great. Yep. What was the second thing you thought of? What can I grow? What can I grow? There you go. That, that's really common, right? Yeah. That's That was certainly me. Um, what can I grow? Um, you know, what do I want to grow? Those sorts of things. And I hadn't really thought about anything else besides where the sun is. And that's certainly important to think about. So macro to micro perspective, as you very nicely uh sort of boiled down before. So begin by observing and analyzing the overall patterns of the natural system in your garden environment. So of course, climate, definitely. Rainfall patterns, soil composition, any existing ecosystem in your garden or your neighbor's garden or the verge strip, things that will affect your garden. Mm. Understanding what's already going on uh, will help you to make smart choices that you won't have to undo later. (laughs) That's really what it's about. The next section, I'm going to give the most brief summary on zoning that I can because zoning is a big chunk of permaculture. After I finish all these principles, I will do a few episodes on these big chunky concepts on their own Mm. because they do deserve their their own section. But zones and sectors. So very easily, a sector is something that, uh, affects your environment, or your garden in some way. So the sun is a sector. Uh, the wind, wind direction is a sector. Uh, where pests come from, maybe you have a creek nearby, you know, these are all sectors, things that external things typically that are affecting your space. Zones is basically the areas, rough areas in your garden um, and the basic zoning system so zone zero one two three four five is essentially zone zero is your home itself zone one is typically going to be like your veggie garden your herb garden that that thing that you're going to visit every single day and in good permaculture it's the closest thing to your to your house to your back door whatever zone two the place that you maybe visit a couple of times a week might be your orchard your fruit trees um and so forth, going all the way out to like zone five, which is the natural environment outside of your house. Mm, So, you know, the big gum tree on your verge strip that has cockatoos, that's your zone five, you know? Mm. So thinking about that as well, because um, you can move around where your zones are going to be, but you kind of have to put them in obvious places so that um, they're useful to you. So, I like that from from an efficiency point uh, mm. and a practicality point,
1: and we, we always talk about bringing back to practical because this is these are makes sense. These principles are yep. designed to make it designed <laughs> designed to work really, um, and designed to be doing what naturally is is done. Yeah. Uh, what I like about the efficiency in zoning is that you wouldn't necessarily put your veggie patch that you want to visit every day. At the very far part of your garden Exactly um, We don't want to do all of that walking each and every time Or maybe where your compost is To be transporting compost and seeds Or mm. sorry, compost and mulch Um I would think that that's going to be closer to where I'm doing garden beds or rows or something along those lines. So I don't have to travel as far. I'm really, it's like a
0: conserving energy and being somewhat lazy, but efficient, I want to say. Yeah, I mean, and this all comes down to, uh, you know, obtaining a yield. You Mm. want a reward for your work. So you don't want to have to work more than is necessary to get that reward. That's right. Because then you're not likely to do the upkeep that's required to have a productive food garden. Have you ever
1: heard of Stun Gardening?
0: Uh, what gardening, sorry? Stun Gardening. Stun Gardening. No, yep. I haven't. The acronym is Sheer Total Utter Neglect. Oh. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I've certainly been one of those in the past, I'll, yep. be, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. I think after my, border, my daughter was born, there was a good chunk of time where I was very much a Stun Gardener. Yep. I, just, I just did not have the time. Um but yeah, uh, a few other points. So uh, pattern recognition mm. is a big one. So recognizing recurring patterns and connections in your garden. So where does water tend to flow? You know, uh, particularly if you have a a larger garden mm. or especially one that has, you know, different elevations or you have a garden that has concrete paths, you know, that's certainly going to affect where water goes, where it moves. Um, and, you know, where is sunlight most abundant? Of course, the A1 most important thing, of course, is is the sun. And this should inform your design decisions. So instead of saying, I want a lemon tree, think, okay, where does water go? Because my lemon tree is going to need a fair bit of water Mm. And, and sort of planning in that kind of a way. Now, functional design elements. So once you understand the patterns, that's when you can start to integrate some functional elements to take advantage of those. So a classic permie thing is the swale. You know what a swale is? I do, Yep. So for those that are playing at home, uh, we have to go into a – there's so many things to think now. We have to go into contouring and things, but uh, essentially on larger properties or you know, bigger blocks, ones with different elevations, um, it's a good idea to – kind of make an elevation map and sort of figure out the lines that go along your garden that are at the same elevation and create one of those sort of topographical maps Mm. and swales. You would make swales along those lines. And essentially what it is, is a a trench Mm. (laughs) really it's a trench that is on contour um, that can will slow down water as it falls down a slope and spread it out evenly along the entire Length of that swale, yeah, and it's a great place to, you know, it holds water and allows it to go deeply into the ground instead of just running off your property. That's the simplest explanation I can give for a swale. That makes perfect sense. Uh, and no, I think you've explained it really well. Yeah, Look, I, I think there's some permacultural designers out there that uh, jump very quickly at the let's make swales, mm. and uh, it's not always necessary. Uh, rain gardens. Is another one that you can do, or windbreaks, of course, is a big one. Um, you know, windbreaks, of course, being plants that don't stop the wind, because so that's more harm than good, but slow it down enough that, you know, you can protect plants and, and your enjoyment of your own garden. Guild planting. So creating plant guilds by grouping species together that work harmoniously together um, and mimicking that sort of natural plant community that communities that already exist. So, for example, nitrogen-fixing legumes uh, near fruit trees can enhance that nutrient cycling, mm. particularly for fruit trees that need a lot of nitrogen. Um, all with me so far? Yep. All yep. good, yeah? We're,
1: we're in. I'm, we're, um, in. My, my mind is like I deep can, into these ideas. I can, I can ideas. see your eyes. Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, ecosystem mimicry. So designing a garden to replicate natural ecosystems, so a forest garden, a wetland area, a pond, things like this, and iterative design. So continually observing, interacting, adapting, and refining your garden based on how those patterns are affecting what's going on, and how those patterns change over time. Climate change, of course, being a big one at the moment. So, yeah, there you go. Now, in order to kind of make this a little bit easier to understand what exactly what's the chain of things from patent to detail, we have to talk a little bit about PA Yeomans. Do you know who PA Yeomans is? No. No. Um, Okay. I'll throw my hand up straight away and say no, please. I didn't either. But if you maybe come from a farming family um, or you are a, an experienced, sustainable agriculture person. You've almost certainly heard of at least his work. So he's an Aussie gentleman born in 1905. Uh, he passed away in the 80s, I believe. He was an Aussie farmer. He was a mining engineer. He was an inventor, an innovator. Um, someone that really should get, a lot, I think, a lot more recognition for, for their work in the wider context. Um but he's basically best known for developing the key line design system, which is a lot more useful in a larger garden lifestyle block farm context mm-hmm. um, in particular. Um, but it's, it really came about from, you know, over a hundred years of, you know, land clearing and the soil in, in the Australian context being completely decimated and destroyed mm. by grazing animals, and the removal of trees. And he decided through being a mining engineer that he figured he knew, he knew a fair bit about hydrology, you know, the study of water and, and water systems. Um, and yeah, key line design is really about designing farms in particular um, to capture and use water in the most sustainable and effective way possible to essentially rehydrate Australia in a nutshell. Mm. Um, yeah, if you go to a farm, there's a reason why dams are where they are, right? Where are the valleys? Where are the ridges? Uh, where does the water flow across the landscape? A lot of that comes down to his thinking. Mm. So a very famous guy, written a lot of books about it, but anyway, a bit of a side note there, but the most important thing um, in our context, in the home garden, is what he came up with. It's called the scale of permanence. So, as the name would suggest, it's a scale of things based on how permanent they are. So, I'll just go through them very quickly. The most permanent thing is the climate. You can't change it. I mean, humans can change it. But it's there. In, in a very bad way <laughs> over, a, over a relatively long period of time. Um, but it's, it is what it is in the home context. You can't change the climate in your backyard. So, that's the most permanent slash hardest thing to change. After that, landform the physical shape of your land, of your Mm. garden, you know, it might just be a flat square. You might have a big long slope. You're quite limited on how you can change that Mm. in most cases. Um, The orientation as well. What's your aspect? Which way are you facing? You know, where's the sun? Those sorts of things. Um, Water, of course. So the availability of water, the movement of water, um, the annual rainfall that you get do you have a lake or a creek nearby again not a lot that you can do to change that um, once it's implemented things like complex underground irrigation Hmm. you can't really pull that out if it's running under garden beds right then we move on to access so access is the placement of roads or paths or any movement within your garden so talking about things like you know what's the what's the space between your garden beds right? Can you get your wheelbarrow everywhere? Mm. You know, things that I have certainly screwed up in the past. <laughs> um, vegetation and wildlife is the next one. So what are the existing plant and animal communication uh, communities in the area? And then microclimate so what are the tiny little zones that are created in your garden, um, based on where trees might be or buildings. And then finally, infrastructure. So the le- the least permanent element of a, of a landscape, of a garden is the, obviously your house is pretty permanent, but it could be your greenhouse or your chicken coop in, in the home garden. So when you're designing a garden, you need to think about them in that order because then when you get down to what comes after infrastructure and buildings, which is what are you going to plant in your garden? Mm. Uh, If you haven't taken all these things into account, you're almost certainly going to put a tree in the wrong place or grow the wrong crops in the wrong place. How does that sit with you?
1: It sits pretty good. I
0: I was taking notes as we went. I talked a lot just then. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It was really good.
1: Um, There was a few things that – kind of popped out and jumped Mm. out to me I love the idea of microclimates and I turn it into a little bit of a game at home as well uh, in that I I might know that a particular corner gets a lot of northern light it gets a lot of sun it's going to stay warm it's going to be a little brick heat sink yep Essentially, um, and I think about that, and I'm like, "Oh, that's going to be my little herb spot, or that's going to yeah. be where I'm going to try and overwinter some chilies, or <laughs> or something it. along those lines." Um, and I'll have a, a purpose in mind for that. I like the idea of what you were talking about with the lemon trees, rather with the lemon tree. Thinking about rather than simply just throwing it into the ground is what's, what's going to do the lemon tree really good? Yeah. I want it. lots of lemons. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I want it to work well um, as opposed to, you know, sometimes you see those uh, a fruit tree, it's been put into the wrong spot or a plant that's in the wrong spot and it just looks like it's struggling. Yeah. Um, and often it's not going to hang around for very long there. Um, I liked what you were talking about with the ecosystem mimicry and also the rain, the rain gardens. Yeah. And something that I was thinking about was natural filtration.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, so
1: the idea of potentially being able to recirculate water that you're using naturally um, by letting it flow over rocks and through gravel and mm. through and and to naturally allow it to filter out impurities and all of those mm. sorts of stuff as well to reuse your water. Definitely, yeah, I like it. I'm going to have a look at yeah. the keyline design
0: principles in a bit more detail yes. as well. There's a, there's some good docos on YouTube. About, At, about this guy and um, about key lines in general. And it's something that's
1: often and has uh, permeated my thoughts many, many, many times is water stewardship and, and water, what happens? It's a question, it's like a bit of an open-ended question of what happens with farms, with our how does water come in and out of the land mm. uh, and what sort of water stewardship is being considered by farmers? As we know, it's such a delicate and, and important resource. Uh, that's often been something that's that's that I've mulled
0: over, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, uh, of course. Water well, management and water stewardship. I've just, on- I've just given you a rabbit hole then to go down. <laughs> um, but definitely look into that, into ripping and all these other things that he's come up with. Mm. Really fascinating stuff. But yeah, just to, I guess, tie this up with a nice little bow. So the scale of permanence um, and, you know, generally... Designing from Patterns to Details. Uh, It guides us garden designers to prioritise decisions that are less permanent um, and more easily adaptable. Uh, Sorry, to prioritise decisions that are more permanent and less easily adaptable uh, early on in the design process. Mm. So really making sure that we're not creating work for ourselves. The example that I think of is... Let's say you, lemon tree, let's go with lemon tree. You put a lemon tree in the ground and after 10 years, you realize, you know what? I screwed up. <laughs> I've never gotten a good harvest from this lemon tree. How hard is it to move a 10-year-old lemon tree? It would be a lot I'd harder. it's pretty much, I mean, if you have a lot of money, you can do it, but it's going to be very expensive. Or and it may not work yeah, if you're moving it, a tree. And it still might not work. Mm. Um, so getting those things right, is essential to just make your life easier down the line. A veggie patch, that's okay. You know, if the lettuce doesn't work there, try it there. You've got another shot in a year. Hmm. But some of those bigger things need to be prioritized first. Um, So yeah, that's it. That's designing from patterns to details. What's the task for everybody? Is to start doing a bit of sector analysis in Hmm. your home, right? Um, So looking at, maybe draw up a map or use Google Earth or Google Maps or something. And, you know, using your own observation is kind of getting an idea or maybe even just drawing it. A simple sketch is is enough of where does the wind come from? Where does the cold wind come from? Where does the warm wind in summer come from? Um, You know, when it rains, what parts of your garden get really boggy? Mm. Uh, Is that at the end of a path? You know, just start to figure that stuff out. There might be many things now that you can't change. (laughs) That's fair. But when you are looking to implement a new thing or buy some new fruit trees, you might have a little bit of a better understanding of where they could work. Yeah, set them up for success. That's it, from day one. So what are we going to talk about next week? The eighth principle, integrate rather than segregate. Cool. I won't say anything more there.
1: All right. I'm going to
0: have a ponder. Yeah, have a ponder. Because that's a very interesting one um, But yeah, we'll go to another song And um, This yeah. this one um,
1: this Let's mix it back up with another Aussie tune And I just wanted to put this one in there Because it is super fun um, It's got a super addicting chorus It's got some great vibes So this is Baker Boy uh, Featuring Urmel, And it's mariuna Hey Mr. Spaceman won't you please take me along, I won't do anything wrong. Hey, Mr. Spaceman, won't you
0: please take me along for a ride. This is Dave Crosby, Jim McGlynn, and it's very good to be on your show, man. And we are back once again. That was Baker Boy featuring your mile with Mariona.
1: Excellent! I was really Excellent. grooving to that. That really I know. makes me bop. <laughs> it's it's not it. the
0: normal type of music we play. But I want to mix it up a bit, yep. and that got me really bopping. Yeah, lots of insane. energy. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's go to our last section for the show. Um, after that brain dump from me, uh, apologies to <laughs> everybody. Let's go with something a little bit more, a little bit more cruisy, mm. a little bit more nice. Um, well, not nice, but you know, a little bit more chill. Um, or less chill. Spring. Less chill.
1: Spring. Spring is fine. See what I did
0: there? I like it. Not, not, that, <laughs> not that good. But anyway,
1: <laughs> it's been brilliant. Um, let's shrug off this winter. Uh, winter is officially finished. now. I'm, we, over, I'm over it. Yeah, over winter. I'm so over it. Let's, you're happy for a spring? Yes, please. Yep. <laughs> um, I think everybody, when we look at some, just some longer days, getting the sun out for a little bit longer, oh, gosh, it's good. And the idea of being able to have light and then do some gardening in the evening as well. After work, yes. yes. So we should, winter has officially finished. Now we are welcoming in spring, and it is the start of a new season. And I like to set uh, – we were kind of mentioned it before, but I like to think about spring as setting up the season coming for success. Yes. The success of next season.
0: And looking at last weekend, what a weekend. It, it felt like late spring almost. It was that kind of weather. It was wonderful. I I was I was
1: really happy that we had gorgeous weather over the weekend and it was a first because often it's during the week – we have really great weather and then on the weekend it's terrible. <laughs> that's, that's always the case, right? So when it flipped this last weekend, I was pretty happy with mm. that. Um, so one of the things that we've noticed straight away is that the fruits, the fruit trees have sprung with the awesome cherry blossoms starting to display. Uh, and we want those amazing pollinators to be present um, as we start to flower, or sorry, as our plants start to flower. Yep. So everything is shrugging off, everything is waking up and blooms. We're, we're looking at new blooms. Um, the, the pollinators are ready and waiting, the plants are, how can we activate it all? Um, getting your flower production machine going and bringing in all those good insects.
0: What do you think of when you think of spring? It's funny because for the longest time before I – really became a gardener. I always thought about spring as the time of abundance. Mm. But now I know that summer is really the time. I mean, all the year is time for abundance. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're growing food year round, but what we, what I used to think of as abundance, you know, your tomatoes and all that sort of stuff is, is summer. Mm. So spring is really about, as you said, setting yourself up for that success. Um, but, it's still abundant in flowers and and there's different kinds of abundance that you get in the garden in spring. Yep. So for me, that's really what it's about is it's the time of flowers. Yep. New you life. Know, new life. Uh, it's the, the chicken coming out of the egg. You know, it's all that sort of cheesy stuff. Yep. Um, for me, that's what spring is about. Mm. Um, and it's also about the soil warming up. Yep. Yeah, which yep does a lot for the garden yeah you for know, sure it just gets things moving um, it gets soil life increasing and it's it's yeah it's just a really special time in the, I'm going to get emotional you know <laughs> <laughs> for me it's it's the most special time in the garden mm, mm. of course summer's great but yeah i think it's interesting cuz there'll be uh, there'll be people some of us
1: will be enacting plans that we've been thinking about throughout these cold months oh yeah, and we've been thinking, we've got it in our head, what we want to do, we've got it written down. Some of us will just be going along with it and just, just writing, riding the days and yeah. see what happens. Um, you can do it all. You can do whatever suits you, whatever you're passionate about, um, which I think is really cool. Often we see that this time of spring as this uh, prosperity, new growth, um, early spring, you can. I, I think it's a really great time to inspect and see if there's anything that hasn't survived or it hasn't coped well during the winter, yep. and then obviously address it if if needed. Um, you you touched on something just before, which is really important. And whilst we're getting warmer air, we've still got some cooler soils, That's and it. the soils haven't quite haven't quite opened up yet. So, I just wanted to kind of caveat here as well is to say it. It might still be a little early to get seeds started. Some seeds started straight into the soil. Mm. However, you can still totally prep and plan. And you might be looking at starting your seeds inside or on artificial heat, like a grow mat. By all means, now's the time. Like yeah. we can start going in, going in hard with planting stuff.
0: You can do what I do as well, which is um, I went to the big green, the big green warehouse shop. And I bought a very large um, storage bin, mm-hmm. clear storage bin. Uh, I think it's like fifty liters or something. And I just put that on top of my seedlings as like a mini greenhouse. Yeah, brilliant, easy way to do it. Um, but yeah, a good a good idea on this note is if you have had mulch in you know on your garden over winter to suppress weeds mainly, not not really to um, conserve water. Uh, it's a good idea to actually remove the mulch as the days warm up and allow some of that heat to really penetrate into the soil because the soil is just a big a big heat bank, essentially. It's thermal mass. So you want to start pumping heat into it as you can. Um, of course, make sure you remulch. When the daytime temps get a little bit higher, maybe towards the sort of consistent 25-ish, you know, start of summer kind of temps, mm. um, then you definitely want to get that mulch on again uh, to again suppress weeds and to conserve water, too. So
1: you you mentioned also just before in the soil is is when we were talking about microorganisms and essentially them starting to fire up again and come um, to a bit more energy. Uh, so this is a great time to continue on with your compost. Yes. It go the lasagna method, green, brown, green, brown. That's all I think about when I – when. well, it's often what I think about when I think about um, compost and how to get it going well. So we need to think, yes, those organisms are going to be starting to fire up, so let's get our compost. Give them food. Give them food. <laughs> um, now is also a great time for doing – you, you, your standard planting. So you mentioned earlier lettuce, yep. lettuce, radishes, beets, spring onions, kale. And those, just that little spread is often ones that you can pretty much grow any time of yeah, the year. Yeah, year round. But
0: um, you can certainly get some, some quicker quicker harvests if you do it as it gets a bit warmer. Mm. Although with lettuce, um, as it does get warmer, you might want to start moving lettuce more into the shade. Yes. In yeah. summer, you could totally grow lettuce under a tree. Easy to do. Yeah. Yep.
1: Um, uh, Lettuce is obviously, it's a very, when it does get too hot, it can bolt super quickly. Yeah. And it's even just a matter of one or two days and then you're like, oh, well, there's a stem coming up through the middle. (laughs) 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 And it's a foot tall. That's it. Um, So now is also a really great time to start propagating runs. So we're thinking about setting up for success, we're thinking about the summer and what we want from that summer harvest. Um, and it might be things like tomatoes, cucumbers, zucchinis, chilies, all sorts of stuff. And um, just this week- weekend, and my daughter and I, we planted tomato, blueberries, tomatoes. Oh, I've not heard of those. Uh, I think that was a... I'm pretty sure it was a diggers okay, uh, one, uh, so an heirloom variety. And it will be essentially with slightly darker, um, darker skin on the outside or darker colouring, not yeah. into that red colouring, but more of a bluey, purpley colouring. Great. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we also did some mixed chilies, and I'll mention some of the varieties of chilies in a little bit, but also some eggplants. Uh, so I love this idea of spring, what we mentioned before, starting to prep so that we get this full bounty food of harvest in the in the evenings, in the dinners, in the coming months, yep. so in those warmer months. Uh, and in terms of those chilies, we got some orange ricottos, some mad hatters, some bird's eye, um, a Japanese, I think it was a marazuna and uh cayenne. So a few different varieties of chilies there. A nice there. spread I'm, there. I'm yeah.
0: keen. I'm keen. I've, I've grown mad hatters oh, years ago. Really, really nice pepper. I, mm. I love them. And mm. they look cool as well, obviously, but a really lovely flavor. Um. Yeah, well, one little note I have um, before I go into what I... Because I also did seed starting this weekend. uh, An immense amount of seed starting. But a little tip that I learned last week, because like many of you, I still have some very sizable broad bean plants Mm. in my garden, completely littered with flowers, but not a single broad bean. Uh And this is quite common. So uh, what you can do... I. The reason I mentioned this is because it was surprising to me is pinch the tips of all the stems. Because in my mind, when I think pinch the tip, I think uh, branching, Mm. you know, if you pinch your mint, you know, it bushes out. But with things like broad bean that are obviously annuals, that is mimicking, you know, animals kind of chewing on them. Uh, And it tells the broad bean, I need to to start making seed Mm. quickly, you know. uh, My life is coming to an end. So it's a nice little way to sort of speed up the, the pod forming process. That's a great so, suggestion. Yeah, so I just went – they're also completely edible. So you pinch those tips with all the little tight leaves on mm-hmm. them and just eat them and it just tastes like a broad bean. Okay. So fun fact there, you can do that. Um, but yeah, I, I also I, – I sat down outside on the deck uh, in this beautiful sunshine. I I gathered up every, you know – seedling tray and pot I could find. I'm trying out some peat sort of pots as well. Okay. Some sort of 10-cell uh, peat pots. So we'll see how those go. Um, and I think I planted probably in the region of, you know, four or 500 seeds, I would think. Um, so, so it's quite a few seeds. It was quite a few. A lot of them were like flowers and stuff where I just liberally sprinkled them in a seed tray and mm. I'll pinch them out and, you know, pot them up over time. Um, but, yeah, I did – uh, Brandywine Red a tomato I, I picked that one some of these are from Diggers some are from another organic seed place mm. they're sold at Series Community Park in Brunswick um, so Brandywine Red which for, it made me think of uh, Lord of the Rings Yep. I don't know why so I was like I'm getting that so <laughs> uh, sort of bigger slicing tomato uh, Cherry Gold's the classic yellow cherry tomato which is my favourite ones I've done two kinds of peppers. So the Trinidad scorpion for some heat because mm. uh, I quite like the level of heat in that one and the fruity flavour of it. I think it's a nice balance. I've done Padron peppers, the sort of um, northwestern Spanish Galician pepper. Very Is that common. the yellow? No, they're small and green. Ah, they they do. You harvest them when they're sort of habanero sized mm-hmm. and colour, as opposed to letting them go red which they will eventually go red like a habanero would. Uh, sorry, like a jalapeno would, I will say. Um, so yeah, they're, they're mild, but the fun fact about Padron peppers is that one in every 50 or hundred is stupidly hot. Mm -hmm. So it's like a Russian roulette game of which (laughs) one you're going to (laughs) get.
1: Fair enough. I'll give
0: you a packet of seeds actually because I want you to have a go. Yep, I like it. I got um, one variety of um, of cucumber. I can't remember the name. It was like Market More or something, just Mm -hmm. an old packet I had lying around. Uh, A few things that I will also plant in ground when it warms up a bit, but I wanted to try starting them in punnets first, even though they don't do so well with transplanting. Uh, Lufa, of course, I've been talking about that for a while. And a crookneck pumpkin, which is one of the original um, varieties of butternut that then got kind of changed over time to be more plump. This one has a bit more of a a crookneck, as the name would suggest. Uh, Red amaranth, I... I must have filled a whole seed tray just with red amaranth. Um, I had a lot of seeds. Well, remember you can do them as microgreens as well. Yes,
1: true. So I might if you wind up just getting this forest floor uh, a little, <laughs> a little
0: carpet of microgreens, that hey, might work. Let the chickens out. Um, but yeah, about I think about fifteen other types of flowers. So one day I just I just went I went ham on this and I just picked every type of flower, some perennials, some annuals. Um, So there was Borage, uh, Nigella, also known as Black Cumin, Yarrow, Feverfew, one of my personal favorites, Cosmos. I couldn't even tell you the other ones. There were so many varieties. And then what I did is it might be a bit of a waste of seed, but all of what was left over of those flower seeds, as well as the ones that should be definitely direct sown, sunflowers, Mm. I mixed all of them up with the leftover potting mix or seed raising mix all together and I just scattered them everywhere Nuts. all over the garden because I do want to build up a sort of natural seed bank and just have wildflowers popping up every year yeah over yep. time I want a, I want a bit of a wild feel in the backyard so I did that that would have been thousands of seeds in there all the leftover bits of every flower packet that I had mm. pretty much and we'll see how it goes um but the main thing for me is keep them moist, because uh, if you start at this stage letting these you know seedling trays dry out, you're going to have a really low or no germination rate. Mm, absolutely, mm. I think that's
1: really critical, especially when you're in that seed raising time. Is yeah. that you want to keep things as consistent and even as it can possibly be that's under it. the right conditions? Um, otherwise, it will. You know, you, you're talking about stressing out a plant that's only just starting. Um, that's it and poor thing's not going to do very well no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the Brandywine Reds uh, it did make me think of, of Hobbits yeah uh, that's exactly what I thought <laughs> I'm sure I'm, I'm sure it was there was Tooks and there was Brandywines and there was a that, few other ones that's in exactly there, right sure. <laughs> Proudfoot Proudfeet Proudfoot that's it um And I like what you mentioned as well about the seed bank because that's definitely something I've noticed. There have been times where I have direct sowed and I've thought it was the right time to direct sow and then nothing ever germinated. And I was like, oh, okay, have I just done the wrong thing here? (laughs) And I think in some instances I've been way too early or I've been out of time and weeks or months later, up pops this little seedling and I go, oh, hang on a second, I know who you are. Yep. <laughs> I planted you six months ago and you didn't work then. That's it. Uh, but I love the idea of having some stuff in into the seed bank in the soil mm. um, that will randomly pop up when the conditions are right for it to pop up.
0: Here's a hot tip as well, um, which I learned from uh, Justin Calverley, uh, is because his, his garden, uh, this is – um, Digger, the writer of uh, The Complete Urban Farmer. Um, his garden, yeah, it's a very productive food garden, is purely in-bed seed bank. He plants nothing. Huh. He has spent years just putting out seed. So much. Yeah, mimicking nature, right? You know how, how many seeds come out of a carrot flower? Yeah. Thousands, right? So just doing this, and it does mean that you kind of have to hunt around for you know, what you're looking for. But there's always just a garden full of food. Mm. All very random things go up and down and change. Um, I want a bit of that in my garden. And one tip is to save the best and eat the rest. Have you heard of this before?
1: I like it. I like it. We want to grow the ones that did did
0: brilliantly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so thinking of lettuce, for example, that you know, let's say there was one. There's one lettuce in your garden that just outcompeted all the rest a big, chunking monster of a lettuce, don't eat it. Don't even take a single leaf. Just give all of your love and attention to this lettuce. It's clearly very happy in your climate, in your yard. Um, it's evolved quicker than all the rest. So when it puts up that flower spike, let it go. Mm. Let it go. And then next year, you will have little lettuces popping up all over your garden mm. and you can just pick one when you need it.
1: Do you know something I've been really fascinated with, with how much mustard greens and things and um, that we've got down at the Downs and how prolific it pops up just Everywhere. in the pathways to the point where we were, I, I, I wound up borrowing, not borrowing, just taking a whole bunch of them, yeah. which were <laughs> in, a, in a pathway and they weren't doing anything there. They were just going to be pulled out and, in fact, <laughs> I'd repurpose them for my own garden. There you
0: go. There you go. Love so. it. That's spring for me. That's spring. <laughs> and that's the show. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been really fun today, Brendan. Uh, what are we talking about next time? Next time, botanical, botanical
1: names. Yes. So, we gave out – again, I've been thinking about this for a while. I'm going to straight away put my hand up and say I have a huge amount to learn, but I'm super keen to learn. Um, botanical names. How does they work? Why should I
0: use them or care? really good question and I think you know if you're studying horticulture or botany uh this is one of those things that they really drill into you is you know the common names that we use for plants change Mm. and are different in different parts of the world but the botanical names don't change so Mm. it's a great way to yeah to to cross cultures cross barriers and talk about plants um and of course to tell you what's related Mm. that you might not have realized Mm. Let's get on to it next week, yeah. oh, next episode. What else? We've got a spotlight on sweet potato. Sweet potato. This is one I've not yet grown successfully. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm keen to go into this one a little bit deeper. Um, what about our eighth principle? Yes, integrate rather than segregate. You can probably guess what that means uh, in a plant context, but I'm going to leave it at that. Yep. <laughs>
1: uh, and the last one, different growing methods hydroponics aeroponics aquaponics this is
0: one you have been just completely itching to do i know and and i'll admit this is probably my biggest sort of area that i have no knowledge in at all Mm. you know so yeah really keen to hear especially aquaponics i think that's the one that really gets me interested Let's 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 build on that, and
1: um, and we'll have a think about it because they are, and each serves its own purpose, and each mm. has its own function and um, benefits as well. But I love it; that's really cool. Awesome.
0: So before we let you go, um, we have an event to chat about. So at Down's Community Farm, the community farm that Brendan and I help to run uh, in Seaford, we have our monthly Big Dig, our big working bee slash community gathering event slash potluck lunch uh, on the 16th of September. So not this Saturday, but the one after Uh uh, from 10 AM until 1 PM. So check it out online. Uh, You can go to downs community org. We just updated our website. So it should be pretty easy to find all that information or downs community farm on Facebook and Instagram. It will be posted up there I believe it already is an event on uh, Facebook. Beautiful. That you can sign up for. So, yeah, thanks as always to everyone for listening and participating. Mm, we hope that you absolutely enjoy your fortnight ahead.
1: We hope that you're able to get out into the garden or whatever space you can and appreciate sharing this amazing practice with others, by yourself, whatever works. Happy gardening and see you next episode. See you then. Mm-hmm.